Welcome to the latest edition of Around the Rings Radio. I'm Gerard Farrick, content editor at Around the Rings. Today I'm talking with Dr. Stephen Ungerleiter, director and trustee of the Foundation for Global Sport Development. The GSD's Symposium on Doping in Sport is being held on April 13th at Pepperdine University in Malibu, California. We begin our discussion with Dr. Ungerleiter's thoughts on the symposium. Global sports uh, development, which I'm a director of, uh, has been doing a number of uh, symposiums um, and uh, panel discussions for years on different topics. Uh, as somebody who's a consultant to the U.S. Olympic Committee and, and uh, somebody who serves on the uh, International Paralympic Committee on the Executive Board, I uh, always enjoy uh, seeing my colleagues uh, every two years at, at the games, but we don't really get a chance to uh, sit in a room with the uh, pharmacologists, with the legal experts, with the uh, anti-doping uh, specialists from WADA, um, and and hear different points of view. Um, this being a rather unusual uh, Olympic year with Rio. And the, the Russian situation with, with the Russian team um, uh, being accused of widespread doping, there was a, a lot of confusion up to the 11th hour on whether the team would be, the delegation would be allowed, uh, parts of the team. So uh, this is a very hot topic as, as we talk about uh, going forward. Uh, what will they need to do uh, to be in compliance? What are the protocols uh, for certifying the lab? What will the IOC and WADA uh, do? WADA is going through a huge, uh, dramatic shakeup um, uh, since '99. Uh, I was there when they signed the first code to to bring WADA into to existence <clears throat> with Richard Pound. Uh, Seventeen years has, has gone by, and they've done some great work, but now they have pretty much imploded due to the Russian scandal. So there's a, a plethora of issues that are on the table and we'll have some of the top people in the anti-doping field. In addition, we are very honored that we will have Sir Philip Craven um, at the event. Uh, he is an, uh, the president of the, of the IPC and pretty, pretty much the voice for the past uh, 16 years of the International Paralympic Movement and credited with, with bringing uh, Paralympians um, into the forefront uh, of um, media education and, and culture. Uh, everybody wants to, to go to the IPC events. It's, it's staggering how many, how many tickets they're selling. Sir Philip was the one and the only one who put his foot down and said uh, on the eve of the, the Rio Olympics, we are not allowing any Russian athletes because there has been widespread cheating. We've known about it. We've seen the documents. We've read the McLaren report. It's clear that we're not going to engage in politics and we're not going to be uh, similar to um, our other counterparts. Um, we are not going to play games. We will not trade medals for morals and ethics. And therefore, we uh, are going to move forward without the, the Russian delegation. <clears throat> this sent shockwaves throughout the Olympic community and um, I could you know, I, I, I was there for a month and, and then came back, and there's still shockwaves. Uh, but we are uh, thrilled to have him, and, and I think it'll be a lively discussion to hear uh, 
what's been going on uh, with the IPC and the IOC on the issue of, of doping um, protocols and what's going to change. So in a nutshell, uh, you know, he will be our keynote. We have uh, court of arbitration casts uh, lawyers. We have uh, some people from WADA. We have uh, some uh, different media people coming. I think uh, it will be a very, very exciting symposium. We're very honored uh, to be uh, uh, running this in collaboration with uh, the Pepperdine Law School. So uh, when you say changing the culture, would that mean rejecting or accepting doping? Is it that simple? No. It's, there's, in my mind, after uh, four decades uh, of, of uh, being in the Olympic movement and part of the Olympic family, I served at WADA, there is no room, and it would be totally unacceptable, to, to allow uh, doping uh, in the games or, or in any other place, like a high school or college venue. Uh, not only is it a violation of, of ethics, not only uh, is it not fair play, but it's dangerous. I mean, we have the data, we know what uh, anabolic steroids and, and derivatives and HGH and EPO does to to the body. And it's uh, it's a slippery slope and it's, and it's dangerous and we know that people's uh, lives have been, been put on the line. So there is no room for for any uh, doping uh, at any level, and I think uh, you know, most folks uh, will agree. There's some that are dissenters to that, but uh, for our discussion, I think we're talking about the future of the games, the future of Olympic training, and how we can uh, provide education and prevention services for those who are struggling with making a healthy decision. All right, uh, this kind of answers these questions, but I, I, let me throw the hypothetical out. Um, if, if clearly you don't agree that there should be any sort of doping, but should there be a case where you say, can doping be fairly administered or it can it even be safe if there's a way to accept certain amount of doping to make it safe? Are these even options at all? Uh, I'll speak for myself, who, who uh, as a psychologist and somebody who's uh, been extremely involved in the uh, pharmacology world and part of the Olympic movement for, for uh, 38 years. I was the uh, uh, chief mediator in the uh, Lance Armstrong case. I was very involved with Marion Jones and, and, and Trevor Graham. And so uh, I, I've been deeply entrenched in this, and then I served at WADA, done some work with Travis Tiger at, at USADA, uh, there's no discussion in, in, in my court, in my uh, heart, that doping of any sort would be allowed. I will tell you that I have served on panels with some very, very smart, prestigious uh, toxicologists who are way smarter than I am, and they're very well known uh, throughout the world, and they, uh, two years ago, spoke up and said, you know... Uh, we've been at this for a long time, we've been doing the anti-doping protocols, we've been sanctioning, we've been testing, we've had the most expensive equipment, expensive labs in the world, <clears throat> throwing uh, tens of millions of dollars at, at, at our doping uh, and testing protocols. Uh, quote, maybe we should uh, allow uh, certain types of doping uh, 
narrow bandwidth where uh, it's acceptable. I can tell you that that comment uh, created a firestorm. Uh, I was sitting next to to the gentleman who said it, and um, it uh, it had uh, some some big time uh, shockwaves for probably the next month, and uh, a lively discussion for our symposium for sure. Maybe it'll come up this year, uh, but I don't share that view, and I would say 99% of my colleagues uh, at the USOC and IOC would probably not share that either. There may be a few outliers there who say, let's stop beating ourselves up and allow a certain amount of of dope. Uh, All right. Um, As for the way things are at the moment, uh, one of the issues is the cumbersome and often lengthy process of adjudication for the doping cases. Uh, some, some, it takes years. You, we hear stories of guys who get a medal from 2004. They're finally get it in 2013 because of all the delays, et cetera, et cetera. Um, does this diminish the importance of the infractions for those who cheat and then win a medal only to have to give it back so many years later? No. Um, first of all, I, I share your concern. It's very. I know a lot of athletes who got the phone call seven, eight years after they retired from the Olympics. Oh, by the way, can you come down to the train station today? We, we've got a little box for you. It's a gold medal. Um, and uh, uh, the athlete says, well, what do you mean? I'm, I'm now uh, you know, running a corporation in, in, uh, in Juneau, Alaska. What are you talking about? And then they find out that uh, the, the previous medals have been stripped, and they are the recipient of it. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's hurtful. It's uh, unfair. I mean, to award a medal to somebody years later after they've been out of the excitement of the moment, uh, it takes away certainly from the precious moment of being an Olympic champion. But uh, right now, there's you know we don't have any options. Uh, when there is a positive test, there has to be a confirmatory B. If that happens, you go before the Court of Arbitration of Sport. Um, you can still, uh, after the cast, uh, you can you know, ask for additional hearings. You can have civil litigation. There, there's a long list of protocols that get in the way to keeping this uh, issue of, of uh, sanctions from streamlined. I would like to see it streamlined, but... Um, in all fairness, in, in honoring due process, uh, most lawyers would say you just can't do that. It would be you know, a violation of, of our rights. So it's a catch-22. We we want to be fair. We want to honor those who have been clean. We also want to make sure that those who have cheated have been sanctioned. Uh, as a sports psychologist, can you give us some insight over what – what might make one athlete decide to dope and another decide not to? And are there can, obviously there's contributing factors, meaning it's available. But I mean, is there something in an individual's makeup that gets him to say, you know what, I'm going to do it as opposed to not? Well, sadly, this question gets asked a lot, not only at the Olympic level but at uh, high school and college. And what I've <clears throat> told. Uh, coaches and athletes and, and parents of young uh, student athletes in high school who choose to go down this road um, is, is a slippery slope. And uh, coaches in high school will 
you know, give the wink and say, uh, I want you to put on some weight so you can earn that four-year scholarship to, to Stanford. And the parents, of course, can't afford the $220,000 scholarship, so they might uh, look the other way, or uh, their coaches might look the other way. Um, it's, you know, about education. It's about uh, educating uh, kids way before high school, maybe in middle schools or earlier, about healthy decision-making. And it's not just doping, it's, you know, drinking, smoking, uh, using recreational drugs. It's a whole educational package, which uh, USADA and Travis Tigert and, and the folks at U.S. Anti-Doping have done a great job with. They're, they're not just about sanctions and stripping medals uh, from, from uh, Olympic athletes. They have spent a lot of time and money uh, setting up prevention programs and having uh, their ambassadors go out and, and, and do that. So I applaud uh, Travis Tiger and his team for, for doing that. They've done a great job. Um, so it's, it's a matter of, of early education, early intervention, and getting kids to, to realize that <clears throat> they've got to make healthy choices uh, across the board. That it's not just about cheating or getting to the line and looking around and saying, oh, I can rationalize this because everybody at the, at the starting line has been doping, so I better dope to, to compete. You know, that's been the sort of the chorus line. Uh, that's not acceptable anymore. Maybe 20 years ago, uh, you could buy into that. It's unacceptable. We have empirical data to show that, that it's not only cheating and violation of, of the spirit of sport, it's dangerous. It's a public health crisis. We know there's heart disease. We know there's liver disease. We know there's pancreatic cancer. Uh, we know what happens with HDL and LDL when, when you start toying with testosterone derivatives. It is a public health issue. And that's the, the, the focus that we have to, to stay on top of. That was Dr. Stephen Ungerleiter of the Foundation for Global Sports Development. And I'm Gerard Farrick. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Around the Rings Radio. Goodbye for now.